0: Welcome to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. Our guest today is Jeffrey Tubin, former legal analyst for CNN, former staff writer for The New Yorker, and author of nine books, including American Heiress, The Oath, The Nine, The Run of His Life. His newest book is Homegrown. Timothy McVeigh, and the Rise of Right-Wing Extremism. That's the book we will be talking about today. I am pleased and honored to have you as my guest. Welcome, Jeffrey.
1: Hi, (laughs) Harriet.
0: All right, so let's begin. So you've written about Trump, Patty Hearst, the Supreme Court, O.J. Simpson, and Ali North. Why did you choose Timothy McVeigh for your ninth book?
1: Well, um, as my father used to say, to make a long story unbearable, um, th- there, there's, there's a bit of a backstory here. Okay. In 1997, um, I covered the McVeigh and Nichols trials, uh, which had been moved to Denver. Um, the bombing itself was in 1995. So I was familiar with the story, and the story had been rattling around in my head for a long time, and I always thought it was really fascinating. And I knew that there had never really been a good, comprehensive, interesting book uh, on the subject. But then what really uh, sealed my decision to write Homegrown was that in October of 2020, that was when the FBI arrested a number of people who were plotting to kidnap the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer. And I knew that Terry Nichols, who was Timothy McVeigh's co-defendant, was also from Michigan. And he had connections to the Michigan militia, as did, as did the would-be kidnappers of Gretchen Whitmer. I then um, you know, started following that case. And then a few weeks later, January 6th happened, you know, the, the attack on the Capitol. And I saw that the 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 motivations, the politics, the the perspective of McVeigh and Nichols was being closely replicated by what was going on in the United States in 2020 and 2021, and I felt that there was a book to be written about the Oklahoma City bombing, but also exploring the connections between the the right wing extremists of the mid nineties and those of
0: today. Okay. That, that certainly, you know, clears it. So you know what you want to write about, but my question to you is how long must it have taken for you to sift through the thousands of documents related to the trial, along with your in-depth portraits of everybody connected to this high profile case? Where do you even begin?
1: Well, um, I was very lucky in in this case. Um, I came across a resource that in decades of writing about trials, I had never seen anything like this. Stephen Jones, who was McVeigh's lead lawyer, had donated every scrap of paper that he used in the defense of McVeigh to the Briscoe Center at the University of Texas all of his interviews with McVeigh, all of his memos of legal strategy, all of the discovery material that had been turned over by the government. So all of the FBI interviews, um, it, it just an incredible storehouse of information. It was 635 boxes worth. Fortunately, uh, the Briscoe center, um, had indexed the, uh, material very well. So I, could zero in on what I thought was the most important. But that um, was uh, the, the, the key resource um, in terms of documentary material. And, and one thing I've learned about um, reporting on high-profile cases some years after is that people are generally very willing uh, to talk about it. Uh, in a way that they're not as the events are unfolding. So I was able to talk to Stephen Jones, who was the uh, lead defense lawyer for McVeigh. I was able to talk to Joe Hartzler, Larry Mackey, uh, Beth Wilkinson, who were the lead prosecutors, um, several of the FBI agents involved, um, defense investigators. It, it, It was a really wonderful opportunity to talk to everyone, um, who had some major connection to the case. And um, I felt like I was really able to do a 360-degree picture of uh, how the bombing happened and what the connection was to, to today.
0: Right. Near the end of Homegrown, <clears throat> you write, thanks to the reticence of Merrick Garland, who was Principal Associate Deputy Attorney General, and his colleagues, as well as the tunnel vision of the journalists covering the case, the impression lingered that McVeigh was an aberration, a lone and lonely figure who represented only himself and his sad sack co-defendant. This notion, as history would show, was mistaken. Can you expand a little bit on that quote?
1: Well, um, uh, the, the, there's, there's a, there's a lot going on there. Um, right. <laughs> the, the, the um, and, and the, you know, those are things I explore at some length in the book. Uh, the, the gist of it is though, that to the extent McVeigh is remembered today, and his name is certainly uh, very well remembered. Uh, if you say the, the name Timothy McVeigh, most people know who you're talking about. But once you dig beneath the surface, you often hear people say, well, he was anti-government or he was a lone wolf. And Mm. one of the things I learned is that that wasn't true. In fact, he was part of a movement. Uh, One of the things he said to his lawyers, which was very haunting to me, was that um, I knew that he said, I knew there was an army out there who agreed with me. I just couldn't find them. And McVeigh was right. And, and there was an army out there of people who agreed with him. But in the 90s, he had no mechanism, no, no ability to reach them. He would go to gun shows, but he didn't have the personality or temperament to recruit others. What he didn't have was the Internet and social media, which made uh, his heirs uh, a lot easier to find each other. Um, now, in terms of how the case was prosecuted and tried in the nineties by the prosecutors and their boss, Merrick Garland, they kept the focus very much on the mechanics of how McVeigh and Nichols assembled the ingredients, uh, rented the truck, parked the truck outside the Murrow building in Oklahoma city. And they didn't spend a lot of time on the issue of motive all the, and, and, um, I I fault myself in a way as well, because I didn't focus that much on that part either. And it was covered mostly as a sort of crude crime story, like how do you prove that McVeigh did this when the larger significance of the case is, especially today, um, the motivation that McVeigh had and the issues that he cared about and how... Um, that cause has been carried forward by others in subsequent decades. That part of the story um, w- was somewhat neglected, including by me. And that's another reason um, I-, I decided to write Homegrown.
0: Right. Take us back to the years prior to the Oklahoma City bombing. There were two key events that had a very powerful influence on McVeigh, shaping the plan which he carried out subsequently on April the nineteenth, nineteen ninety-five. What was the connection to the three events, the two, and then of course the bombing?
1: Well, I, I would actually say that there were three events in the bombing that, that okay. are really critical. Um, but but the two I think you I think you're referring to. The first was in nineteen ninety-two. Um, the FBI siege at Ruby Ridge uh, in, a, in a remote part of, of, of Idaho where the FBI was investigating someone for illegal possession of weapons, Randy Weaver. And uh, it turned into a, 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 a shootout where um, both law enforcement and um, um, Randy Weaver's wife uh, were killed um, and in the extreme right-wing movement this became a rallying cry uh, against the FBI and against the federal government as a symbol of, of government excess and that was something that McVeigh um, was very was angry about but even more significant was the um, the situation in Waco and the siege of the Branch Davidian compound, um, which was similarly a, a law enforcement uh, attempt to obtain uh, illegal weapons. Um, um, there, there was a raid uh, by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Several law enforcement agents were killed. Um, several people in the Branch Davidian compound were killed. And then a siege went on Um, for um, more than two months, which ended on April 19th, 1993, when um, the FBI injected tear gas into the compound. It caught fire and 76 people were killed. It was a nightmarish situation. And that was something that McVeigh also took as as a uh, terrible example of government excess and something that he had to punish the government for. And that's why uh, he set off the bomb precisely two years later on the second anniversary. Uh, but, But what gets less attention and deserves more attention is something that happened on September 13th, 1994, which was when Bill Clinton signed the assault weapons ban. And that was really what triggered Uh, McVeigh and Nichols to begin the bombing planning in earnest, and McVeigh's obsession and fear of how the government was going to um, confiscate his weapons um, and, in his view, violate the Second Amendment, that was just as big a motivator for the Oklahoma City bombing as was the, his outrage about what happened in Ruby Ridge and in Waco. Right. Well,
0: I, that, that was going to be my next question. I didn't connect, um, you know, it, I, it, I, guess I don't see it as an event, but it, in essence, it really was the, the band.
1: Well, yeah. and, 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 it's really important, um, to see the connection because, you know, Waco, um, I mean, it it was a terrible uh, event and it's horrific that so many people died. But it it was kind of a fringe cause Mm -hmm. among um, only the, the farthest right wing part of American politics in the mid 90s was super exercised about about McVeigh. I mean, sorry, about Waco. And if if you think to yourself, oh, well, all all McVeigh cared about was Waco it's a way of kind of marginalizing him and making him seem like a nut, like an eccentric, (laughs) when in fact, um, anger about the assault weapons ban was widely, widely shared and showed the kinship of McVeigh to the right-wing movement of the 90s, which showed how he was very much part of um, that view um, that was not extreme um, in, in in the mid 90s and um, you know what, one of the things I try to do throughout homegrown is show how McVeigh's views were more more conventional and more mainstream and remain that way than um, he, he it, it, he's often thought about in in, in current in, in, when he's discussed today mm-hmm.
0: There were publications which deeply influenced him, The Turner Diaries, The Spotlight, Soldier of Fortune. And I just was reading another book that referenced them, and it said that um, Amazon carried definitely The Turner Diaries. Uh, Up until January 6th. you could get it on Amazon. I I didn't know that. and I, did I mention Soldier of Fortune as well? Yeah. yeah. So what message would you say resonated with McVeigh after reading these? And what is the key message in the Turner Diaries, which comes up? sorry. Yeah, Well, wait on that. Okay, yeah. What, what's the key message that comes across that obviously um, meant a great deal to him in, in the Turner Diaries? Yeah, the Turner
1: Diaries is is central to the McVeigh story. Um, the Turner Diaries is, is a horrible dystopian novel published by um, a white supremacist, neo-Nazi uh, named William Pierce. And the story of the Turner Diaries is of... The United States, after a sinister conspiracy of blacks and Jews, has taken over the federal government and as a first act, um, passed something called the Cohen Act, which calls for the private confiscation of all private weapons. Hmm. Earl Turner is the hero and narrator of, of the book, and he decides to rebel against the evil federal government. And the way he sets off his rebellion is that he rents a truck, fills it with explosives, and sets it off uh, next to the FBI building in Washington, which uh, ignites a counter-revolution in the United States. You can't understand why McVeigh bombed the Murrah Building unless you've read the Turner Diaries, because it is a precise attempt to duplicate what Earl Turner did, set off a truck bomb outside a federal building, thus um, leading to a rebellion against the evil federal government. Um, the, 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 um, the Soldier of Fortune and the Spotlight you know, are, 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 are not as extreme as the Turner Diaries, but they express a similar obsession with fear that the federal government will take people's guns away. The, the the issue of guns is so central to the McVeigh story, and and this fear, this this uh, fear that um, the government is going to take your guns away, um, that is central to understanding why McVeigh did what he did, and it is equals equally central to understanding what went on on January sixth. The 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 obsession with Uh, fighting any sort of attempt to restrict guns is is central to the right-wing movement of the 90s and of today.
0: Right. McVeigh's roots are actually in Ireland, but he grew up in western New York. His mom left the family when he was just seven. His parents divorced when he was 16. And she takes her two daughters, leaving her son, Timothy, with his dad. That decision by his mother definitely had quite an impact. You connect that event and the fallout that followed to McVeigh's obsession with guns, Psychologically, how would you explain the loss of his mother and the role of guns in his life? Is, is there a connection? You know,
1: well, certainly guns is, is central, but, right. but one, one of the things about McVeigh that is, is interesting but also puzzling is that you, you can identify influences on him, mm-hmm. but many people had the same influences and didn't become terrorist mass murderers. You know, he, he had a, you know, he was not poor growing up. His father worked in uh, a GM plant for 30 years. His grandfather worked in the same GM plant, good union job outside Buffalo. Um, and, you know, the family owned a house, owned cars, uh, took vacations, they, they, they were um, in, Tenuous financial shape because so many factories were closing uh, in Western New York in those days, but they were not impoverished by any means. And yes, it's true. uh, McVeigh had McVeigh's parents had a rancorous divorce when he was a teenager. But that's true of millions of other uh, other people. Um, McVeigh um, joined the military after high school. True of many thousands of others. Um, he, he did, um, you know, have his right-wing politics reinforced in the army. Um, he did become obsessively interested in listening to Rush Limbaugh every day for, for three hours um, as he drove around the country. Millions of people listened to Rush Limbaugh and didn't become criminals. But when you add all these factors together, um, it, 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 it is that the, they are very important in explaining who... Uh, McVeigh became, you know, I can't tell you, I I don't, I'm not presumptuous enough to tell you that because McVeigh's parents had this nasty divorce and because his mother left with his two daughters and left the son, Tim, with his father, that's why McVeigh, you know, became a terrorist. I certainly can't make that sort of a direct connection, but it's all part of a portrait of someone who becomes increasingly alienated. Uh, for modern life. Right.
0: The We talked about the, um, the Turner Diaries and the fact that the idea to bomb the federal building is directly from the Turner Diaries. Um, how did the most important ideas put forth in that book give him a justification to do what he did? Um, I... I the, uh, there's the issue of of gun control, which we covered, um, and and the whole maybe the whole thing. If you would talk about the ends justify the means, right? Uh, uh, yeah, you know, that.
1: McVeigh's f- favorite one of his favorite movies uh, was a Sylvester Stallone movie called First Blood, um, and uh, McVeigh, in explaining to his lawyers why he did what he did, um, was he he said, well. The government drew first blood. You know they, they started it by um, attacking the uh, compound in, in Waco, and this this was uh, the the bombing was McVeigh's way of uh, responding in kind. And it is true that um, not only um, a lot of adults died in Waco. But a lot of children did. And I think many people may remember that uh, on the second floor of the Murrow building in Oklahoma City, there was a daycare center and 15 of the 19 children who died. There were 168 people who died in the Oklahoma City bombing um, were in that daycare center. Um, and, and, and McVeigh said, you know, I don't apologize uh, for the death. Of those children, however, um, because I don't apologize for the death of, of those children because the government killed a bunch of children in Waco as well. Now, um, that is sinister, evil, uh, quasi logic, but it is McVeigh's explanation for why he did what he did,
0: right? Right, all right, so we are. Closing in on um, this first interview, I know you said you would come back and we'll talk some more about uh, the homegrown. Um, In in the the next um, uh, part, I would like you to talk about, because we haven't mentioned him at all, about McVeigh's friendship with Terry Nichols and the ideology that connected them to each other. Um, I I think that uh, McVeigh had more influence, shall we say, and um, he was more involved in the planning and the the doing of the bomb bombing. But we will get into that in the next part. And I thank you for being here today on Pursuing Justice and talking about your new book, Homegrown, and we'll talk some more next time on Pursuing Justice. Thanks, Harriet. Thank you.